0: Lord, once again we humbly open your word. Scripture that is God-breathed, revealed by you through man. Yeah. But it's, it's you, it's your word. God, we thank you so much that you are not an aloof God, but a God who reveals himself, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Once again, may you reveal yourself through your word this morning to each one of us that we have something to act upon this week to bring more glory to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Like I say, we won't be focusing on the miracle of feeding the four plus thousand people uh, this morning. There's a lot of moments in this chapter to struggle to focus on. I'm not going to give an overview of a a chapter like I managed to do last time. Um, While I was preparing, I was trying to work out what actually God wanted me to focus on. This morning. That was quite a diverse chapter. I started looking at the Pharisees, is what I got drawn into really. I, I feel actually what the Pharisees represent for us today, we've got a lot to learn from. But then I realized as I prepared that more and more, I realized whoever comes to Matthew 23 will have nothing further to add. Um, I, that might end up being me as the rotor comes around, I don't know. And when it does, in which case I will elaborate, or I might find out actually I've said enough on the subject this morning. We'll see when the time comes, and we might just skip Matthew 23. But as I was doing that. Or I might just give it to Julian. Or, or as I was doing that, I then recognised that wasn't what God wanted me to specifically focus on, although I will talk about it a bit this morning. Then I looked at the canyon Light woman, was the other bit that drew me. I just started choking up when you know, that moment's coming. daughter gets healed. It's brilliant. But, again, I recognise that a lot of what comes out of that, in terms of themes of prayer, persistence, perseverance, faith, we've actually touched on in many different ways over not-too-distant past. And I do want to just simply repeat stuff we've already heard before. In doing that, I recognise there is a hinge, to steal a word from John last week, there is a hinge in this chapter on which both those responses, the Pharisees and the Canaanite women, the, the Canaanite woman, there is one verse on which that is like a fulcrum effect. And there are two different responses to this issue that Jesus picks up on. And in the light of what we'll be celebrating next week, next Sunday we're going to be celebrating the great victorious resurrection of our Jesus from the dead. Let's not, as we do that, focus... Let's not lose focus of what happened on the Friday, why he gave his life. And actually I feel it's very important to look at this single verse that Jesus shared, this hinge moment. And out of that, just remind ourselves of the Gospel this morning. The Gospel we should never, never forget the gospel, we need to hear it again and again. If you think the gospel is irrelevant once you become a Christian, because that's a bit done and dusted with, you're immature and you're missing the point, not to put too fine a point on it, we need to hear the gospel again and again to remind us of what we've been saved from, to remind us of what we've been saved into, to remind us why we're here and that we have a job to do to pass it on, and to make more disciples. If you've ever asked the question, why does bad things happen to good people, That question will get answered this morning. Okay? Why do bad things happen to good people? We will look at that later. We will come to it. Before we come to the verse, just think about the life of people around us. The people of Herne Bay, let alone any further. They're generally quite nice, normal people. There's a few bad apples, as you get anywhere, but generally they're quite a nice bunch. We get to meet them out in the shops and in our daily business and our neighbours. They're okay. They're all right. The general assumption would be actually they're just pretty good people. That's what we normally think. He's a good guy, she's a good girl. People think that of themselves. I'm a good person. trouble is, we've misdefined that word, good. That's the problem. Bernard Madoff, a few years ago, if you remember in the States, he conned people out of billions in fraudulent investment plans he said this, after being convicted in 2008, he said, I'm a good person. I'm not the kind of person I'm portrayed as. Everyone was greedy. I just went along. <laughs> comment as you will. And there's an, on- an-, an anonymous poet who once said, people are basically good. It's only their behaviour that lets them down. <laughs> Again, I'll let you to, com- I'll leave you to comment, but you understand there's a There's a tension there that that doesn't quite settle right. There's something missing out of that kind of assumption. What about great philanthropists like Bill Gates, Mr. Microsoft? He's made billions. He and his wife give away millions upon millions every year to charities. Very, very generous. If he ever gets pinned down, he's a professing atheist. He doesn't love Jesus, but to the world, he's a good guy. He gives away millions to charity, helping out the poor and the needy. Paul Newman, before he died, he set up his famous sauce range. The point of that company, and it made millions, was that every single dollar of profit went to charity. That wasn't something they decided after they got successful, that was the point of setting up his sauce company. Paul Newman wasn't a professing Christian. People think he's a good guy. Gave away money, he did that on purpose, he wanted to. What about the Dalai Lama? What about Gandhi? Good people. This is what the world thinks. Unfortunately, like I say, we have redefined the word good too easily. And we must reclaim its original biblical definition. If you've ever heard the terms original sin, total, de- uh, total depravity, these are kind of doctrines that feed into this. I won't use those kind of phrases mo- this, this morning, but if you've heard those, that's what this is all about. Jesus here is approaching the cross. He's a year or so away from the cross. Things are accelerating now, and he's still confronting not just the reality of the human heart, but right here, he's confronting our pitiful attempts like the Pharisees to do something about the problem. To cover it up or try to, try to deal with it. He tears a strip off the Pharisees for what they're doing. They're trying to save themselves. It's quite pitiful, really. But then we also say, see him pour grace upon this woman who comes to him and understands him as her only means of mercy in a desperate, desperate situation two contrasting responses. And right in between these two contrasting responses is the heart of the matter. Verse 19 of Matthew 15. Let's take it it from verse 18, but verse 19 is the hinge. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, (coughs) slander. These are what make a man unclean. Because the problem is, whether you're a Christian or not, you can look around the world, whether you believe God made it, or aliens made it, or it happened by chance, or it was the flying spaghetti monster, or or whatever. If you want to know who that is, Google him. Flying spaghetti monster. Seriously, Google him. He's famous. Whatever you believe, you cannot look at it in an honest way and not say something went wrong. And thus, people's reaction is to look around the world and divide things into good and bad. What's right, what's wrong. But where is the plumb line? Where is the dividing line of what is good and what is bad? Who gets to draw the line? Even us in the, church, in the church, we can still do this. You've got good over here on the sliding scale and bad over here. You can think, well, I'm kind of here, a bit more this way. I'm not as bad as she is. And I read my Bible more than him. And I watch the news. You can see news reports and feel quite superior, can't you? At least I'm not like them. I'm a bit I'm obviously not there, but I'm, I'm a bit further this way. We can do this in our heads, it's ridiculous, but we do. We do. What does the Bible say? King David, Psalm 14, verse 3, and Psalm 53, verse 3. These will be on the notes as well, if we don't get a chance to scribble all these references down. Psalm 14, 3, and Psalm 53, 3. He says the same thing. There is no one who does good. Not even one. And his son Solomon, considered the wisest man who's ever lived, 1 Kings 8, 46, he says, There is no one who does not sin. No one. And he goes on to say, in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who does what is right and never sins. No one. In the New Testament, Paul in Romans three, verse nineteen, famous verse, there is no one righteous, not even one. Is that phrase again? And then the Apostle John, in his first chapter, his first letter, 1 John 1 8, says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Heavy words. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And it's in our DNA and the world as a result. That's why we have laws. The law isn't just there to protect us. The law is a mirror to show us what we're capable of. The laws of our land. Just as the old covenant, the old law that God laid down was a mirror to show people what their hearts were like, our national laws, our international laws, they just show us what we're capable of and what to protect us from. But we can't pass the buck, you see. Because you can hear original sin, Adam and Eve, well, it's their fault we're considered sinners. We can't pass the back on them because we're all perfectly capable ourselves. We're all capable of sins of commission and omission. Commission that we do what we shouldn't do. Sins of commission. Sins of omission, where we don't do what we should do. And it's not even what we do or don't do, just what we think. Just what we think. We're all born sinners. We all like to live life our way, not God's, because we know bigger than someone who made the universe. you know we know better. And like we were hearing this morning during worship time, we seek contentment in anything outside of what God wants, don't we? That's a lie because you will never find contentment outside of what God knows best. This isn't to say that anyone is incapable of doing good things, because we can see that does happen. Non-Christian philanthropists like Bill Gates and Paul Newman do good things. But that's because of God's grace, it's called common grace, He allows it. Imagine the world without that. He allows us all to be capable of good works. But if they don't come from faith in Him, if they're not done for His glory, it's going to be stained by sin, ulterior motives, selfish desires, ultimately. Good doesn't always mean good. Just have to remember what the Bible says about the word good. Therefore, what is good? Wayne Gruden, the theologian, he says <coughs> Excuse me. He says God is the final standard of good. Thus good is what God approves. Does God approve of everything you do, think, say, dream, fantasise, hunger for? Can you honestly say he approves of everything? I can't. Ultimately, we're all sick without him. Those verses were what men in the Bible have said. It is God breathed, that is scripture, they are, that is right. But let's even hear it from God's own mouth through his prophet Jeremiah. He says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceptive above all things and beyond cure. Well, the ESV says, desperately sick. We're all sick. Because the heart is deceitful, it's not just because we're capable of deceiving other people. We can deceive ourselves. In our own pride, we can convince ourselves we're not proud. We do it. So then you can read this list that Jesus gives about what comes out of the heart and think, well, maybe a little bit, a couple of those, but most of that. I haven't murdered anyone. But last time I looked, driving home an automatic pilot, I don't think I did. Sexual immorality, well, it's not really me, I'm not really into that. theft, I don't go thieving and breaking into people's houses. But we can deceive ourselves. We need to read between the lines of what Jesus is saying here. Let's make it easier for you to see it is about you. Mark chapter 7. It's the same passage, just narrated by Mark, and he elaborates on the list. Matthew's been quite concise and hasn't given everything that Jesus has said. (coughs) Matthew has listed seven points, seven items that Jesus lists that come out of the heart. Mark goes on to give us the full list, which is thirteen. Hey, Mark, chapter seven, verse twenty-one. For from within, out of men's hearts, here we go, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Anybody here put their hand up and say none of those apply? No. So We're all capable of dark thoughts, aren't we? If you've ever been the parent of a small child, you're capable of dark thoughts. (laughs) If you've ever been saving up a deposit to buy a house... You can have dark thoughts about your parents and your inheritance. Or is that just me? (laughs) Or is is that just me? (laughs) Where can I get a big lump from? Mum and Dad are getting on a bit. Whatever it is, we are all capable. We are all capable. And if we say we're not, we're an idiot, ultimately. So Jesus takes this one step further in Luke chapter 18... I'll read it out to you if you don't want to turn to it. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 19. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven, basically? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God. He's trying to catch the guy out and trying to work out of these recognize Jesus as God because Jesus is the eternal son of God. But Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He, God, is the only decider of what is good because he's the only one who is good. Therefore, he's the only one who's capable of deciding what is good. He's the final standard, the final word on the subject. Thus, he's saying here, because the question was, how do I get to heaven? Only the good go to heaven. That's what people generally in the world believe, don't they? That's the common assumption. Good people go to heaven. The Bible agrees. And none of us qualify. Bad news for us. So what can we do about this? There's four general responses. We've got the uh, slide, is that possible? Thank you. There's four responses three wrongs and a right, three goods and a bad, using the same terminology this morning. Firstly, we can ignore or deny the problem. We can bury our head in the sand. Maybe it'll go away. Lots of people like to do that, they like to live like that. They don't want to face up to the fact that there's something they should be thinking about and they don't want to. Or you could believe you're not bad in the first place. Some people believe that, it's like avoiding the doctor when you're sick, when your knees playing up for weeks and you haven't found the GP up, it's a joke. A friend of ours, he's been collapsing and hoped it would go away and kept putting it off. Collapsed again, he and his wife thought it was a little stroke, maybe it will go away, still didn't see the doctor ultimately, went to the doctor, he's in final stages of lung and brain cancer. Now, I'm not a big fan of what ifs, they're dangerous. But you can see the wisdom in going to the doctor when it starts happening, can't you? This is the same, you can ignore or deny the problem, not see the expert. As much as you do that, bury your head in the sand, you are still sick. It doesn't solve the problem. What if you don't think like that? What if you do want to do something about it? One reaction is to rescue ourselves. This is like the Pharisees. This is what they were doing. Jesus wasn't confronting them on Old Testament law that God had laid down. They were adding to the law with more traditions and more rules. And they came to him with one of them about washing your hands before you eat. It wasn't something that God had laid down, something they'd added to it, to be more holy to solve the problem of their heart by making more rules and more good laws than bad responses. So Jesus proved to them by their own traditions that they're dishonoring God. All these guys are doing, they're spiritual cosmetic surgeons. They're not sorting out what's going on inside and trying to put on this pretty facade. A bit of Botox and a bit bit of a nose job. That's what they're doing. They're creating this plastic moralism that still disguises a filthy heart. People do it generally these days. About being good to each other. That's what life's about. That's the right approach to life, is being good to each other. I've just hooked up with my old English teacher. We haven't spoken to each other for 30 years. We found each other on the internet. We follow each other's tweets. And he's setting up this kindness Kindness scheme that he wants to take off around the world. And the tagline is, could the answer for mankind be for man to be kind? Bless him. He gets my gospel tweets back. <laughs> but people think people think that's the answer. It's not. It's spiritual cosmetic surgery. It's not solving the problem. So it's a self-improvement, which ultimately it isn't, is it? Or, you can take it to the other, other extreme, people can save themselves by every man for himself. Survival of the fittest. I need to make my way in this life. I need to step on a few people, take no hostages in business, I'll be successful. Good career, make loads of money, big business, big house. Pretty wife and more plastic surgery. Not the answer, is it? But people think like that. They think that's the answer to life, solving the problem. We, any of us, can legitima- legitimise our sin by our motives. I know it was wrong, but I was doing it for a good reason. We can blame our circumstances. I know it was wrong, but you wouldn't have done any different. We can blame other people. Chalk straight back to Adam and Eve, pointing fingers here, there, and everywhere. Anyone but me. It was her. It was him. So open. This is just self-diagnosis, treating ourselves, giving us loads of pain relief. Dosing yourselves up in paracetamol, getting rid of the pain, but again you are still sick. It's not solving the problem. Dose yourself up the painkillers, but that rotten tooth still needs to come out at some point. You're still sick. The third response is to look for a rescuer rescuer somewhere else, outside of yourself. This can even be living your life through other people. Reality shows are taking off here, there and everywhere. They're getting more and more ridiculous. But people love living life through other people. Imagine if I was that person living in that house, that massive mansion, MTV Cribs, or waiting for Mr and Mrs Wright. when I get the right wife or the right husband who's a doctor, who earns lots of money and has a nice car and I won't have to work. Life will be alright. We'll have the big house. We'll have the acres of fields at the back and then life will be alright. Again, it's finding contentment in something else outside of God again. It's exactly what we were hearing earlier. Some people look for rescue by pleasing others. They will feel rescued if they please other people and then other people will like them back. Trying to please others. The problem with trying to please others is that they are the ones who set the standard. It will never work. Or, just following the teachings of a guru or a religious teacher, Oprah Winfrey. And a pseudo-pantheistic psychobabble that people lap up and they love it. She's not a religious expert, but everybody seems to think she is. People love this. They They latch onto something. It doesn't solve the problem. It's going to the wrong expert. It's like if your house is freezing, you go to Maureen to knit you some nice jumpers. That's not, it might get you a bit warmer, but it's not solving the problem. You need a boiler repairman. It's going to the wrong expert. It's like when you've got breathing problems and you go to the nearby scuba shop to suck on some of their oxygen bottles. It might help a little bit, but it's not solving the problem. You need a doctor. You're going to the wrong expert. And that's all that is. You're going to the wrong place. But thank God there's a fourth response. Or we can fall on Jesus as our rescuer. How do we do that? Just remember the story. Once upon a time, everything was good. The man rebelled against God. Sin entered the world. The man brought death upon himself and upon the world as a result, and all was not good. So what happened? Good God. Became man, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, the only one who did fulfill the law, died a horrendous death in our place that we deserved for our sin, rose again in victory. What a good God! It's as simple and as mysterious and as majestic and as complicated as that. It's amazing. And so as opposed to coming to Jesus trying to catch him out like the Pharisees and thinking they're holier than he is with their rules and traditions, their cosmetic surgery, we should fall upon him like that Canaanite woman in total humility. She recognised him as the answer to her situation. I understand a little bit more of the lady. She's from Sarah Phoenicia, It's modern day Lebanon, southern Syria. She's from that area, and if you understand the background of this kind of person and where she's come from, she's actually most likely a very wealthy, highly cultured person. And yet, she knows that her gods and her wealth will not solve her desperate situation. And she comes to a man who actually, by race, represents an enemy of her people. She comes and seeks him out. She's left her daughter at home with people. She's gone out of her way because he's the answer. And what does she call him? Lord? Master? She says, help me. Have mercy. She sees him as the only rescuer, the only answer to her situation. He's the answer to her brokenness and her helplessness. She says, rescue me. We have that rescuer in Jesus, even today. God in his perfect justice hasn't ignored the wrath that we deserve as sinners. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. People try and soften that theology. We deserve wrath as sinners. God in his perfect justice hasn't ignored that. But in his perfect love, Jesus took that wrath upon himself. And when we in faith believe in him... As eternal God, we believe in what he did, why he did, and humbly fall upon him as our rescuer, as our Lord and Master in true repentance. What does he do? He places our sin on himself. And places his righteousness, his aim for everything good, on us. See, sin used to be in our DNA as human beings. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into our DNA. We are, we are sinners by default before we've even done anything wrong, but we're also responsible for our sin. It's in our DNA. But we now, if you're in Christ, you now have a new nature. Let me just make this point. At the end of Romans 7, Paul talks about the battle battle against the flesh. The NIV marks it down as sinful nature. That's actually a bad translation. You do not, as a Christian, have a sinful nature. You have a new nature. You are a new creation. The ESV, the NASB, NASB, the King James, they all rightly translate it as flesh. You are still battling against the flesh. You are still battling against your old habits, your your old thought patterns, temptations. We are still in the world. So, you will still be tempted, and we are still liable to sin, but you do not have a sinful nature. That's one point where the NIV slips up. We can still live in the past, effectively. But as a Christian, if you're in Christ, you have a new nature. Don't forget that, because that really helps in the fight against sin. Know where you stand. But like I say, we can still live in the past, we can still fight against the flesh. And I've just given three responses here that we can look at and think, well, thank goodness I went for the fourth one. Brilliant. That's for you. You're a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. Don't think the first three still don't apply to you anymore. Okay? Let me explain. We can still ignore or deny the fact that somewhere along the line we've wandered away from the truth. If you're saved, you're always saved. I've preached that before, I'll preach it again. If you're still confused, come and find me. If you are saved, you're always saved. You don't lose your salvation. But we can still wander from the truth. Sometimes we can do that knowingly and know we're being disobedient. We can stick our fingers in our ears and have a tantrum. We're still liable of doing that. Don't think we're not capable of that we can still try to rescue ourselves. We can still try to do it. Even as Christians, we can still fail to fall on Jesus and perform spiritual cosmetic surgery to make us feel better and look better without true repentance at the heart. Why should I forgive X? I'm doing all these good works, doing lots of good things. Why do I have to go and do that? Why should I have to confront that and be humble before someone? Why? Why? We convince ourselves that I don't need to do that. It's a sin of omission because I'm doing this. (coughs) We can put on a good show at church, put on a good mask, a good facade. Still hides what's going on in the heart, doesn't it? We can make a list of X to avoid Y. If I do all these, I'll avoid doing those naughty things. You're just building up more legalism again. You're building up another law, another set of rules, another set of traditions like the Pharisees. It's good to have discipline, it's good to have habits. It's good, if you have a problem with the internet, then cancel your internet subscription. It's good to cut your right hand off like Jesus says. But that doesn't save you. If you have a full relationship with your Jesus, and you're aware of him, and you love him, and you want to please him, you don't go there anyway. Do you see the difference? It's good good to have guidelines and boundaries. I'm not saying that. Just be wise about it. Boundaries and rules don't save you. A relationship with Christ saves you and helps you in situations like that. Or we can still look for a rescuer somewhere else outside of ourselves. Even in the latest Christian fad, the latest church style, the latest speaker. I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos. I'm from Mark Driscoll, I'm for Rob Bell. We can do church without being, church, can't we? We can always go for our favourite music style. I think that's where it's all about. When when, When it's the right kind of music, that's when I really come alive in worship. Well, it helps, but that's not worship, worship. It starts here with a relationship with Christ, doesn't it? Have we reduced Christianity to singing some songs and listening to a preacher? We can do that sometimes, can't we? And even the world we can be tempted to go and find contentment in the world again. As one of his people we can still be lured by TV, money, food, whatever it is. We can still try and find contentment outside of him. But again, all this is like the heart transplant patient who's had a brand new heart. He, he still doesn't venture out of the house. Walk more than 10 yards, relies on his home oxygen because he doesn't trust his surgeon. The guy is actually free because he's got a brand new heart, but he's not living in that freedom. Do you see the difference? We can still do that. We can still be a new creation in Christ and not live it. Or we can fall upon Jesus again and again and again. And again, when you feel the need to win others over, remember what God thinks of you through his son. You don't need to please other people. You just be his child. When you're not at peace or content with life at the moment, remember where true fulfilment will always lie, which is in Jesus, which is in him. so when you ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or when you hear other people asking that question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's actually a bad question. R.C. Sproul explains it this way. He's a pastor, theologian from America. Fantastic, fantastic preacher. He says this, this is brilliant. He said, why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and he volunteered. (laughs) Hallelujah. So this week as we're in the run-up to Easter, let's reflect on the journey to the cross. Let's remember why. Let's remember who. Let's remember what happened. Let's remember the good, the bad and the ugly. The bad and the ugly is our sin, our hearts, our selfishness. The good is the good God who went out of his way when he didn't have to, but because he loved us, to go through what he went through, to die the death that we deserved, and then rise again in victory, that we can be secured with him forever, in eternity. Do bad things happen to good people? It only happened once, and he volunteered. Never forget that. Never forget that. Run to him. Let him work his miracle or transformation in you. Whether you know him yet or you already know him, run to him because he's a good God. Let's pray. Jesus, we honour you as the eternal King of Kings. We honour you as the Son of God, who even before the foundations of the earth were laid, you had come up with a plan with the Father and the Spirit to rescue us. It's a glorious, glorious rescue plan. And you, as the rescuer, are the only answer in this world. It's been said before that our faith is the most exclusive in that you can only come through Jesus. But it's the most inclusive in that everyone's invited. Lord, we thank you that you invited us. We thank you that you led us to respond. Those of us in this room that truly love you, we thank you that you led us to that moment. You open our eyes to you. But Lord, may we continue to recognise that, may we continue to live in the light of that. May we continue to honour you with our lives, to glorify you, to not try and rescue ourselves or be rescued by other people or things, but to lean on you at all times as our hero. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then please just come and grab one of us afterwards. We'd love to talk it through with you. It's the best thing you can ever do. Never put it off because you don't know where you'll be this afternoon or tomorrow. It might be too late. Come and speak to us. We'd love to talk and pray with you. Lord Jesus, if we go about our daily business this week, let us not forget what it is we honour and celebrate next weekend let it be something we honour and celebrate every day of our lives again from now on. Because you're a good God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cheers, guys. If you want prayer for anything, aches and pains and illnesses, come and find us. We'll talk to a good God with you. Anything else? Come and find us. Teas and coffees are at the back.